This is my interview with Nathan Hinojosa uh, that we did last month for, it was the day after the Concert Without Borders uh, in Douglas and Opsun Agua Prieta Sonora, right at the border, uh, which I have already mentioned and will continue to mention and talk about, uh, and I will probably be involved next year. If you want to find out more about that event, go to the page bisbeelive.com, and I have a link up. Uh, just Google con- Concert Without Borders, um, and there's a video that I posted as well of Nathan Inojosa playing a song that he did record for the podcast as well, but it was not an original composition, so... I'm not adding it here in the podcast, but go and watch the YouTube video that I have linked uh, on the page, bisbeelive.com. So again, this is Nathan Inojosa, uh, based out of Austin right now, and his take on flamenco music and different frequencies that he plays music uh, in, and The Matrix. We talk about a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks for listening. This is Mike Butler with Bisbee Live. Thank you, Nathan Inojosa, uh-huh. for coming on to the podcast. Oh, totally. Thanks for having me. So you just played last night at the border, uh-huh. uh, Douglas, um, Arizona, uh-huh. and Agua Prieta, Sonora. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the, the concert at the border? Oh, that's a, a magical story. I, I met Seth Pauly randomly uh, when I stumbled across Bisbee in one of my many adventures. Uh, I was on my way to Tombstone, but yeah. I came across Bisbee because I saw the movie 310 to Yuma. Okay. And they go to Bisbee, and I was like, I wonder what Bisbee's like. <laughs> so I stopped in, and I uh, went to an open mic, and I played, and then I met uh, this gentleman named Seth Pauly, and we just... Uh, hit it off and um and uh he put me up that night needed a place to stay and uh and then he introduced me to his wife and she was telling me that she puts on a a concert every year called concert without borders and and that was like a couple years ago and finally this year they got me uh involved and i was real excited about you know to have the opportunity and so and so it's been you know, it slowly evolved, and so to play it yesterday was just like a dream come true. You okay. know, you know, it was like super. It was surreal, you know, to be out there playing next to this wall because it is. Yeah, I I had never seen it before uh, a couple years back, and then and then I've always heard, you know, hey, there's a wall down there, and then mm-hmm. and then to see it, it's just like. This is mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that. especially if that's um, if somebody were to go and that was their first experience seeing the the border fence. Mm-hmm. I guess we can call it a fence. Yeah. Maybe not a wall. Maybe that's coming. Right. Yeah. But it is surreal. And to see uh, two stages like that, one on the Sonoran side, one on, uh, you know, the Arizona side, it's it's it really is a striking image. And uh, they have little tables with chess sets set up yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it was um i mean I'll, I'll i'll put some links on the podcast and everybody can look at uh what we're talking about but it's it's really interesting to see just an arm come through a fence and play chess <laughs> yeah. i'm just so glad that that's happening this is the fifth year mm. right set the fifth year 
the sixth year, the <laughs> fifth year that the state counts. But yeah, uh, Lori was telling me that she put on one year that they didn't count. Okay. And they didn't have stages, I guess. But you know, that's when they like first initiated. Yeah. So. So that's an interesting way that you got involved. I, I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, yeah. Met the person who found it, you know. And okay, so you played the the border concert, and uh, you're also playing tonight in Bisbee. Uh-huh. Yeah, at the courtyard from three to five. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for everybody who is listening to this podcast, can you describe what kind of music you play primarily? I, um, I like to kind of dub it spicy flamenco because <laughs> it's not, it's like flamenco influence. There's flamenco techniques, but mm. it's not like traditional flamenco. Um, I'm slowly working up towards that because the genre is so difficult. But uh, it's all instrumental, and um, I'm really into effects pedals. And so it's heavily based on (laughs) effects and uh, looping. And I do a lot of live looping. Fantastic. Yeah. So, and I only do that just because um, I can't find another guitarist. (laughs) So, any guitarist (laughs) listening out there, I'm willing to drop the looper at any moment. (laughs) But I've been working with the looper for years now. Um, and so I've just kind of gotten used to it and adapted to it. And that's kind of like shaped, uh, how I write music. Cause when I write music, I don't write music for just the solo guitar. I write it with the looper in mind. Yeah. And so, and that's actually hard for me to break now. I'm just like, I'm trying to write a song and I think about the looper first, but, um, but yeah, so the music, uh, is definitely heavily looper based and, um, I do like drums sounds on my guitar and I have a effects pedal that does like bass sounds. And so I try to get like a full, full sound, um, when it's just me. Yeah. But, um, but I do have a trio back home in Austin and, um, and, but they play to loop still. I still keep the loops going and, uh, um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it can get squirrely sometimes, you know, if some, if we don't hear the sound just right, mm. you know, we can get off from the loop, you know, and, and I've had plenty of train wrecks, you know, with the loops. So. And when you're recording, is it the same thing with the loops or will you just record separate, uh, guitar tracks? Um, it's live looping. So, um, yeah, so it's like, it's different every time. So, so sometimes. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of um, some of the recordings that you can find on your website, oh. which is what just NathanInohosa.com. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I'll send. I'll put a link on the on the nice. blog too. Um, so, what, yeah, was that looping as well? No, okay. no. So the those ones are all live. I lay down one track after another, but um, that album, I'm. It's like I did it all myself, and so I'm not like. 100% content with the production. Okay. You know, I've like I've always wanted to like record something where I can just get lost in and not be like picking every point being like, "Oh, I could do that better. I could do that better." So, uh when I do record my next album, which I'm hoping to do this year, I think I will do it to live looping, so you know, I'll hmm. do it um instead of laying down the track one by one, I'll just like the band will be in the same room and we'll just do it all all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's how I'll be able to capture, you know, the sound. If I, if I do it one by one, it's, it won't be the, be the same. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Not the same energy that you're yeah, capturing. Totally. Yeah. Um, so what made you want to get into this type of music? When did you start playing period? Uh, oh man. Um, so like, uh, in middle school, I 
picked up trumpet like fourth grade mm. and then um i was like forced to do it <laughs> my mom was like you gotta play music i was like i don't want it bob but luckily it paid off in seventh grade discovered the guitar and then my life changed <laughs> so your parents and, always encouraged you to definitely to play music yeah, yeah yeah my parents were very supportive of, yeah. of music and any kind of interest i had any kind of wild idea they're they weren't there to shut it down. They weren't too pushy either, or, um, or were no. they? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're pretty awesome. Parents. Let you kind of make sure that you're doing something, yeah, um, yeah. outside of school, but uh, something that you're enjoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did get on me about video games. <laughs> really? What were your big video games growing up? Ooh, uh, N64. Oh, that was man. the console. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goldeneye. Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super yeah. Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a lot of Starcraft, not on N- N64, but you know, the PC, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, when I st- discovered guitar in seventh grade, that just like, I was hooked, you yeah. know, I just had the fire. I was just like, I want to get better, just get better. And I just like nothing like fed me the way that like music did, you know, with, yeah. with guitar. So yeah, I just like was lucky enough to know that it's like this is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> it, it makes I, I believe I believe you 100 percent because mm. the amount of talent that you have at your age, you know, obviously, you know, it takes a certain person with a certain type of creativity level, but also so much dedication. So yeah, you must yeah. not have been playing probably not as many hours of video games as I was <laughs> <laughs> to get to that level. Yeah. Um, and okay, so then why? So you're 28, mm-hmm. right? And you're playing music that um, has a, a pretty long history, right? Mm-hmm. And is not necessarily uh, hip, contemporary. Um, well, you're, you have your own take on it and mm-hmm. kind of updating it, but it's not like what you hear typically on the radio. So what made you want to get into the flamenco sound? Uh, back to when I was a kid, uh, I, was, I was like a big metalhead. But my dad, he would take me uh, in Fresno, California. There was actually a flamenco scene there. Hmm. And so as a kid, I grew up listening to it, not thinking that I would play it later in my life. But it was just kind of like enrooted in me. And so because, yeah, we'd go see this group called Cerro Cerro Negro um, pretty often. And I always enjoyed them. But, yeah, the thought never occurred to like, oh, I'm going to learn this music, you know. So, like, I went through this metal journey <laughs> you know, listen to played a lot of metal i wanted to be like zach wild yeah <laughs> you know, just melt people's faces and i guess that's where flamenco comes in because flamenco is very like you know it's very uh, what's the word um there's a better word for flashy <laughs> metal you know is very like melt your face and so is so is flamenco you know well, i was thinking that both can be very intricate and, yeah and um um, complicated and hard to play, mm-hmm. you know, I bet yeah. you, I imagine if you just throw on some really heavy distortion on some of the things that you're playing and yeah. get some drummer, you know, who can play some blast beats or something, it'd be a pretty <laughs> yeah. interesting totally, yeah. uh, sound, but what you, you are doing with it is, um, yeah, like a more a young modern take with loop pedals. Um, and you've told me about how you've toured extensively. You've, you've even just, you've lived on the road, mm-hmm. just constantly touring. Yeah, um, yeah, which must have been a blast, and we can talk about that. Um, did you find yourself playing with? Uh, well, what kind of what kind of um, bands did you end up playing with around the Southwest here in California? Ooh, when you're doing that, yeah, I I did a lot of my own like original material when I lived in California, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then I moved to Texas, 
And there, I just, I still haven't found my flamenco. Like, I played a little bit of flamenco when I lived in California, uh, but it didn't catch on to me. I was still, like, wanting to, I was, like, learning jazz. I was learning all the metal, still metalhead. Mm-hmm. So, but I moved to Austin, and it's very much a, a, a player's town. You know, like, you can be a freelance musician and make it work. And so I played yeah. with every group, like a reggae. Of course, found my metal group, uh, jazz. And I didn't really pay attention to my own music. I was just kind of like trying to develop my own sounds and learn as much as possible. And Austin was, is a great opportunity for that because there's so many musicians. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like how I learned. I play with like amazing people. And it was always my goal to be the worst musician in the band. Because if you're the best musician in the band, you're not going to learn as much. But if you're the worst one, you're like, you just got to like sit back and listen yeah. and, and try to pick up on what they're doing. And so I tried to find bands like that and, um, and just learn. And then I'd say like after four years of playing with so many different bands, I finally was like, I'm tired of this. I, I want to run the business myself because mm-hmm. I was able to sit behind the wheel and see how other bands were running business and being like, uh, oh, okay, this is what they did wrong. I could do that better. And I had that mentality in me to actually want to do that. Some musicians don't want to have any any side of the music business. You know, they just want to perform the art. And um, but um, but yeah, I played with enough bands. I toured with one band um, and, uh, called the Jackie Myers Band, and we we're just a jazz trio. And she like taught me how to like tour myself. You know, rather than like having to like find someone or waiting for someone to like open the door and be like, here you go. You can go on tour. You know, I was like, no one's going to do that for me. I'm, mm. I got to take it into my own hands. And so, so I, I learned from her and, um, and then was able to, um, yeah, yeah. After four years, I, I was like, okay, I'm ready to do my own music. And then I got back into playing the flamenco, but it was like super rough cause I hadn't played it in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, um, on the road, I kind of hashed it all out. Like, um, you know, I just like would email all these wineries around the country and be like, Hey, you want, can I play, you know? And some would say yes, some would say no. And, and, um, and then that gave me the opportunity to like really, um, find my sound and, and on the road. Yeah. On the road. So hmm. on the road, it's like really where, where it happened. And not just that, it's like, I'm out of my element. I'm having to like meet bunch of different people and you know and build up relationships and uh, so that way I can come back <laughs> you know yeah, make, make yeah, the loop yeah. over and over and over and so it was just a, a huge learning experience on all sides so the, of the business side and the creativity so the, the creativity is what I struggle with the most I I do a lot of covers I I like learn songs but put my own twist to it mm. and that seems to be what I mostly do, I try to write, but I like, listen, there's nothing coming out <laughs> very often. <laughs> so, yeah. so, but yeah, so I feel, I feel a storm spurring. Some, some original stuff's going to come out real soon. <laughs> well, I, I can relate. I've, I've had writer's block yeah, for yeah. most of my twenties actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, um, I mean, I was just curious about the, when you were on the road, were you play playing mainly, um, just by like you were the only one on the bill or were, were there lineups uh, with other, other groups? Mm. Um, and I, so I was just curious if there were, was a lineup, what kind of um, other bands were playing uh, with the same, 
you know, the same night? Yeah, I'd say like 90% of the gigs were just me. Okay. Um, there weren't other bands. Cause yeah, it was mostly wineries, um, that I played at. And, um, since I lived in California previously, I knew which ones to hit up. And oh, so man. I just had to fill it cause I was living in Texas and I had to like fill in the gaps of New Mexico and Arizona. And since I toured with, uh, Jackie Myers previously, um, I contacted the same venues that I had played with her because I knew them and I was like, Hey, um, I, you know, I played my stuff. You want to book me? And they did, you know? Yeah. And so Madrid, New Mexico was one of like the, the good connecting dots to get to California. And that is still probably one of my best gigs is playing out there. Cause it's like it's such a small community yeah. and everybody kind of like, you know, everyone knows, knows each other. So I've looked a good support there. <laughs> it's on my radar. I, I haven't been up there. So oh, there's, yeah. there's a winery up there as well. Uh, no, I play at the Mineshaft Tavern, which is like a restaurant okay. bar, but yeah, it's an old, old bar from, from like, cause it's an old, uh, man, coal. It's a coal town. Is that, it? Yeah. Yeah. And it was functioning for the Manhattan project when they're doing the the atom bomb research and so that town was thriving off of off of that time oh, and then when the manhattan project closed up uh the the whole town shut down and then it was vacant until the 70s and then some artists and hippies came up there and now it's just kind of like this biker stuff it's very all the bikers go up there so yeah it was in that no comment. I won't comment on what I think of the film, but it was it was a movie with John Travolta that came out a few years yeah, ago. They, yeah. they filmed a lot of that in Madrid, yeah, New Mexico, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Road Hogs or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this one place that they're stuck in that time frame because they have the posters all up in there. They're like, Road Hogs came through here. And, yeah. you know, it's just like... I guess that probably was a big deal for the town. It's so small. Just like... Yeah couple hundred people it's totally. even much smaller than bisbee i think right oh, yeah. it's pretty much just one street mm-hmm. one little strip yeah it's one mile long and they hey they have their own voluntary fire department so mm. there's not an official one and yeah yeah they kind of handle everything um it's a better word for in-house but you know if events happened you know they the community kind of was like this is how we deal with it so mm. yeah it's it's almost off the grid but not you know it's yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very special place. <laughs> so sure. Los Alamos was the town that became synonymous with the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, how Do you know how close it is to Los Alamos? I don't know exactly. Yeah. Okay. But close enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. And there's still, there's still uh, coal there and they're still like uh, mining it. And like the water reeks of it. Like really? they, they say it's safe to drink, but you like, you open up the faucet or you take a shower and it just reeks of like the, the sulfur. It was just like, it's, <laughs> yeah. So, wow. yeah. And the town is trying to like shut it down because they're like, it, I'm not sure the reasons behind it, but I know there's a, an opposing group that they want to stop mining, mining it. So, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My, I'm, I'm just realizing my podcast is turning into like a showcase of, Small towns in the Southwest. <laughs> yeah. I've talked about Madrid now and Silver City uh, and Bisbee, of course. Yeah, yeah. So Madrid is one of your favorite places. And you mm-hmm. you were telling me um, when we were having, having breakfast, you had some just pretty amazing experiences up there in general. 
Yes. Um, yeah. That kind of opened your eyes in a way. What, what were you telling me over breakfast? Um, man, so, um, so I did some tours where I would take um, a band with me, and the band would be like two people, but most of the time it would be a duo. And so, um, so, but there was some where I would do it by myself. I'd say a majority of them because that's how I could afford to go and do this, uh, full time. If I, if I started paying a band, you know, there's a lot of expenses mm-hmm. and, um, everyone's needs are a little different. And my, my, the way I tour is very rough. <laughs> I do a lot of camping, you know, and so, you know, some people, you know, not everyone's a camper. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm trying to think here. Uh, if it's something you don't want to share in the podcast, we can oh, just no, cut no, this. Oh, no, no, I totally will. It's just uh, I'm, I'm having the break of train of thought. We rephrase the question well, again. Well, so. we were, I mean, we were talking about like opening the third eye and, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. drug experiences and oh, stuff. Totally. We can, yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how we got on the topic this oh, morning. Oh, yeah, spirituality. Um, yeah, but I, I thought you mentioned some sort of uh, something that happened to you around Madrid. Was it when you were camping? Oh, you... oh okay, yeah. So my very first experience of Madrid, the first night I, I went there, and this is when I was touring with Jackie Myers. And... Um, she, uh, we were staying with the, the bookers of the venue we were playing with, the Mineshaft. And um, I had never met any of these people, didn't know any of them, but Jackie knew them. And, and they're like, hey, let's go. Let's go back to our house after the gig and do some shrooms. And I was like, mm. okay, I've done shrooms in the past, but, you know, uh, I was like very open. Usually I'd be like close off, be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I was just like, I'm open for experiences. Yeah. Let's see what, where this takes us. So we, we take some shrooms and we're all hanging out. And then um, Monica, <laughs> the one who booked us, about like an hour or two into it, she somehow convinced me. She was like, you should take more. And I was like, <laughs> I was like you know what? You're right. <laughs> and so I took a lot more and I, I definitely, I was just, yeah. Uh, and so like slowly it started setting in and it was the most profound experience uh, of my life and still is to this day. And it like took me down to a very dark place and a very light place and it took me, it's still to this day. And that happened about maybe four years ago. And I still think back upon it. And there's, there were so many lessons that were shown to me during that experience. Mm. And I didn't know how to decipher it because it was so much information. And um, it just gave me a lot to think about and just to like appreciate life and, and change things about myself and, you know, see things about like, you know, ooh, this isn't so good. What can I do to like change it and slowly work on it? And so uh, over the years, I've had epiphanies being like, oh, okay, that's what that message was during mm-hmm. that trip. You know, I should do this or this and this. And so, um, but yeah, that was my first night in Madrid and, um, I, it's just like, I was completely incoherent. You know, my band tried mm. to like get me to like go back to the house we were staying at and I was just like stuck on the couch. I was like, I don't trust you guys. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I'm going to stay right here. I cannot move. And, uh. Yeah, it, it dove pretty deep, you know, like met some aliens in that mm. trip. I can only see like a foot in front of me and I'd walk and then slowly it would pixelate and manifest itself. And yeah, and um, 
Yeah, it, it was definitely a life-changing experience. And then to this day, Madrid is a very special place to me <laughs> because of that was my first introduction. Yeah. It wasn't even 24 hours staying there. And I was like thrown down this like hole. And then, um, and then just the people there are very like special and... You know, everyone's like a entrepreneur. Everybody works mm. for themselves. And that's why it kind of seems like Bisbee is too. And that's why I like Bisbee and Madrid. They both kind of like, it's full of entrepreneurs, you know, mm. and, and, and um, just a different lifestyle that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily see in other cities. I, I think we were talking about frequencies because mm. you've, you've, you've gone into um, re- recording your different music and playing at different frequencies. I think that's how we mm. got uh, to talk about this kind of spiritual experiences and what can trigger that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's why we started talking about drugs, but, um, can you explain a little bit of what you've experimented with, uh, musically with these different frequencies? Yeah. Yeah. So I experimented for about two years, the 432 Hertz. And well, my like big conclusion is that it just, it brings in synchronicity to my life. Like a lot of like magical things happen where things line up where I was just like, whoa, this is more than like coincidence. This is just like, you know, our two energies meant to line up at this path and we'll, we'll continue to line up, you know? And, hmm. and, um, but, uh, I stopped doing the 432 Hertz because the nylon strings don't, yeah, I have to tune my guitar flat because the standard tuning is 440, which all the, all the, all, all music is tuned to 440 on the radio. And so um, I tuned my guitar down eight hertz and the guitar's intonation's not designed for it. And so I'd listen back to my shows and they were all a little out of tune. And so I was like, I like this tuning, you know, it's, it's brought some questionable experiences into my life. Um, and so I started looking into like how else, cause it's, I, I don't know the exact math, but you can do like half of 432 and it's cause like 432 is a, and then if you do half of it, um, I forget the, what, what letter note it'd be, but just say like F, you know, it would be whatever half of 432 is. And so you can, there's all these increments that line up mathematically off of 432 and, uh, 528 is another one. And, uh, and so I tune my guitar now up to 528 Hertz. And uh, my guitar um, handles the tuning a whole lot better, hmm. and so and now I've been experienced. I've been uh, experimenting with that tuning for about uh, a year or two, and um, I definitely like it uh, a whole lot better as far as the guitar's uh, playability. And um, I still feel like I like uh, I've had some really interesting connections. The example would be. Um, one of my tours where I took my family with me for the first time on the road. Um, it was, it was super magical again in Madrid. Mm. <laughs> I was playing a show and there's this guy who talked to me and he was like, he's just like, you know, really into the music and his girlfriend was too. And then while his girlfriend was like off to the bathroom, he was all talking to me. He was like, Hey, how much would it be to get you to play a private party next week uh, for her birthday? you know, like a surprise. And I was just like, okay, this, this. And, and then like, I was like, what day is it? Because I'm going to be in California next couple of days. I don't know if I'll be in Albuquerque again, because that's where they lived, um, uh, to make it. But luckily it, it worked out right. I was actually in Bisbee. Mm. Uh, and then the next day would be the, the day that they wanted me to make. Mm. And so I was like, great, I, I could do it. So, 
Uh, and then this lady, her name is Cass. She was born in Benson, uh, or if I'm thinking it right, which is not too far from here. Yeah. And so I was like, it's just so weird. She knew all about Bisbee, so I was telling her, it's like, yeah, I'm playing in Bisbee. And it's just like, and um, so she was all real excited. And, but she had no idea that I had worked out with her boyfriend, Bill, that uh, that I was going to be playing her surprise birthday party. Oh, what a great surprise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so, yeah, a week later, um, Bill gave me the details of where to come and, um, and play. And it was at one of their friends, like, mansions mm. in, uh, right up against the... I'll, uh, what's the name of the watermelon watermelon mountains in uh, Albuquerque? Uh, oh, I don't know. Al- Alamo. Ah, that's oh, gonna kill me. But anyways, the watermelon mountains okay. <laughs> in Albuquerque. Um, their their mansion is right up against the foothills there, mm. and so it overlooks Albuquerque. So uh, that's where the birthday was, and so he, so Bill like blindfolded Cass and. <laughs> And brought her into the mansion. She had no idea, like, what was going on. And was like, you can take off the mask as soon as you know who's playing in front of you. Because I had to play a song. Um, and, then, and then she, like, I started playing. And immediately she started crying. And she, like, <laughs> lifted up the blindfold. It was me. And she was just like, and there was a bunch of people, like, all around. And she was just like, I was like, I've never like cried during my performance, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta keep it together. <laughs> like, I didn't cry, but like, it was a it was a crazy emotional experience to see this woman just like crying, you know, from from this like amazing, you know, situation that her boyfriend had arranged, you know, and it was like super inspiring location inside this like amazing mansion, and the people who lived there put us up that night too, so I got mm. to stay in this place and like and it was just like mind-boggling and um but yeah talking to Cass more I, I told her about the frequencies and she was all about it and she like knew about it and uh so there's definitely like a niche market that my music like uh pertains to because um, there's kind of like a little bit of following for or um for this kind of music and this frequency because and, I, it, when you're listening to it it it'll have maybe a different impact on you on the listener. Yeah. Yeah. What what were the connections that you were making earlier about Zen uh, Buddhism? Is that, well, I couldn't get too much into details. The, the little research that I've done is that, um, and this is where I kind of question things too. They say they find uh, some of their bells or gongs from back in the day. And they said that they can measure it and see that's tuned in these frequencies. Mm. And so I don't know how they, how they can measure that or, you know, how reliable that information is. And so, but you, I have seen in some of these temples, that's what they like. There's, I forget what those steel drums that they hit. Uh, it's a circle and there's a word for it, but those are tuned to those frequencies. So it's like that community, they meditate to, to these just like drony, uh, sounds. And so, um, that's the extent that I've like been able to research, you know, what, what that community like, um, does with, mm-hmm. with the frequencies. So, yeah. 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 And you're, you're going to play some songs for us for the podcast here. Yeah, yeah. Um, what frequency will you be playing? Uh, it'll be 528. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And standard, uh, what a lot of musicians play at is 440. Mm-hmm. 
um, which I've never even thought of changing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's that's a pretty, you know, that's a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean like the highest notes that you could play um, on your guitar will be, I don't know, some notes that people don't typically hear in music? How could um, you explain? Okay, what you're doing, <laughs> that frequency, uh, yeah. um, even, even myself, I'm, I'm a musician, but I, I, how could you explain it like in the most layman terms of what changes? Um, uh, to, the, to the average listener, you can't tell mm. because it's so, so subtle of a difference. Like, okay. It's not like a drastic difference in tuning, but since I've played in this frequency for years, my ear has been more and more trained to be able to pick out the differences. Like now mm. when I listen to my 432 recordings, I'm like, well, that sounds so flat. <laughs> flat. Yeah, yeah. Especially if I listen back to back to the 528, I'm like, whoa, it's a big difference. But to, to most people, they won't be able to tell, you know, unless you're, uh, unless you, you know, play an instrument regularly. So, but even then, if, if I were to just be like blind or like not told, you know, what frequency a song was about to be played in, I wouldn't be able to tell. It's like, it's, it's that subtle of a difference. Mm. So the notes necessarily won't be at a higher register. It's just, uh, it's just like so slightly different. Okay. And so, um, yeah, but, but yeah, the, how you were saying earlier, it's that this frequency lines up with the Fibonacci sequence that Mm. shows up in, in nature um, and, and just, uh, natural formations. And so, um, and so that just like gets me thinking like, well, if you tune your music to this frequency, what kind of impact does this have on yourself Mm. and others, you know? And, and so it's just for me, I I just like questioning everything and being like, well, what does this have? You know? So, uh, I'm definitely not implying that this has specific, uh, results because people do claim that. And I'm just like, I don't know, you know, about that, you know, but, um, but back actually to the, back to the story with, uh, Bill and Cass, the surprise birthday party. Um, since then, those people have, are still in my life, even though they mm-hmm. live in Albuquerque and I live in Austin and they, um, they continue to have helped my career. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the people who lived in the mansion hired me out for another event. And so the thing has just been kind of like snowballing. And so that's why I feel like these, the, these altered frequencies have done for me is continued my spiritual musical journey to continue to build and build. And so I can live free and do, do what I'm passionate about, you know, compared to, you know, uh, working, I've worked the corporate thing and I've mm-hmm. been absolutely miserable. And I would say that's, that was like my lowest vibration, you know, <laughs> just cause you know, I'm just like sad and depressed and, you know, that's not the highest frequency, you know, be happy and spread love. And but what about know. job security and benefits and retirement? Oh yeah. Yeah. Super, super <laughs> controversial topic. You know, I'd say that's what the matrix wants, um, you to do and not live free and, uh, initially be a slave, <laughs> you know, and then like these words start to get pretty controversial and then like people can start tuning out. But, um, but I'm very, uh, I swim upstream, I would say, mm-hmm. is my philosophical <laughs> ideology is just, I do, I, I tend to do the opposite of what's, of what has been laid out to us since, you know, we've been put in school, you know, I went to public school and 
the whole time I was in it, I was like, something's not right. Mm. Like, I didn't know what it was. I could put my thumb on it. But in third grade, I kind of like checked out. I was like, this isn't serving me. You know, mm. I know I have more life to go through, but something's not right. And then I went through the whole phase of paying taxes when I was 18, 19, 20, 21. And I was just like, something's not right. Something. You, you haven't paid taxes, taxes since you were 21? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like, it's for me, it's like extortion. You know, there hasn't been taxes before, like, the Federal Reserve was put in, and it was in 1912, I forget the exact date, 1913 or something, on Christmas, <laughs> it was set in the Federal Reserve, and then the income tax was put in, you know, before that, the in- income tax was never in, and, and uh, you know, and that's kind of what the United States was founded on, was just, like, freedom of tax, you know, no taxation, and... Yeah. Have you had taxable income in your 20s, though, and you just don't well, file at the well, end of the I, year? I feel like uh, so far my journey of being a musician is that <laughs> this is going to get real deep now. Uh, musicians are like enemy of the state because we can live outside of the matrix. The way, the way our business model works, we can escape the matrix and not be taxed hmm. because it's all under the table. Yeah. And so therefore we can go unmonitored, but you know, the, the IRS, IRS probably still wants that. Oh, totally. Different. Totally. Yeah. So what's your social security number and your address? <laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding. so you're saying, so pretty much throughout your twenties, you've been able to call yourself. If someone says, Hey, what do you do? I'm a musician. Yeah. What'd yeah. you say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's all under the table. Uh, well, mainly, it, yeah, it depends how, how you view life. You know, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely, um, enjoy not being a slave and being able to, to live freely, you know, and that's what I continue to, to, to pursue in life hmm. and just, yeah, not be, uh, owned by anyone. That's, that's the one thing that like, it, it hits me. I'm just like, who are these people or this entity that says I owe them money? And it's just like, I, that doesn't sit right with me. It's like, what, what is this? You know, like, uh, I, I'm, I'm not owned by anyone. I'm a citizen of the world. Not a, I don't belong to this farm we call the United States. I just happen to be accountable to, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. So, but but yeah, I understand it's very controversial. <laughs> Everyone doesn't share the same viewpoints, and I understand that. So it's really hard to talk about, you know, and not a lot of people are, want to talk about it because yeah, it's stressful, you know. And that's why, like, the movie The Matrix, when I saw that as a kid, that hit uh, hit something in me. I was just like, maybe this because uh, Morpheus, he talks to Neo. He's like, you know, you feel the Matrix all around you when you pay your taxes, when you, and he lists off all the things, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I was in fourth grade at the time, so I couldn't relate to all the stuff he was saying because I needed to experience life. But I knew something about that movie was like I, I identified with it. And um, yeah, yeah, I guess it's just like my, my whole journey, especially with altered frequencies, is just kind of like being aware of the matrix and, and seeing like having to like unlearn things that I've been taught in school and relearning things and just kind of like, questioning everything and you know uh there's this guy i listen to and he uh is his podcast called infinite waters Hmm. and he's he does a lot of interesting things about words and one of the words is like history it was like what is it it's his story Hmm. you know because like in in the in school you know we we didn't get taught about you know native americans who who lived here in the u.s you know like all the terrible 
you know, atrocities that happened with them that was completely left out, you know, in, when I was in school. And it's just like, that was like a terrible part of American history and we're just mm-hmm. not going to acknowledge it, you know, and, and then we're just going to, you know, not, you know, we were told that his story, uh, you know, another version of, of the world, you mm-hmm. know, that wasn't accurate, you know, and I can go on and on and on, you know, false oh, yeah, flags, you know, all, all the false stuff. flags. <laughs> yeah. um, what is that exactly? Uh, okay. So the Gulf of Tonkin uh, was on false flag, the, which brought us into the Vietnam War. Um, I forget that there was a U.S. ship that was never in the area of Vietnam, but it was it was put out by the media, uh, by the U.S. media, that Vietnam had uh, attacked one of our ships, and which led us and sunk it and led us into the dragged us into the Vietnam War. We needed an excuse mm. to say that the false flag that the the enemy um, attacked us, so therefore we have to defend ourselves, and it gives us the opportunity to go into another country and occupy it. And hmm. so, um, and then if you look into the Gulf of Tonkin, that never happened. And so the, the assumptions of the Vietnam War was all based on lies. It was a, on a false flag attack to further the American agenda of globalizing the world. So, you know, and that wasn't taught to me in school. You know, it's like, it was, it was his story that, that the Vietnam War was justified and that we were the good guys and we were doing the right thing. And that's kind of like what the schools teach us that America is, that we have the higher ground and we know what's right. And it's really, who are we to police the world, you know, and say, say what's right and wrong. And it's like, and now this time of day, or, you know, we're very, people are waking up to that and being like, you know, something's not right. (laughs) Oh yeah. Even to the point where there's a commentary on how, History is with, I mean, that's a male pronoun. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you see people in the feminist movement who want to say this is her story mm-hmm. as one word, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there is different perspectives than just, well, historically just a male white perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of backtrack. Um, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> we talked about how you found out about the concert at the border. Yeah. Um, but I want to know your background, and do you have a connection to Mexico? Your name, uh, Inojosa, uh-huh. it sounds Hispanic. Uh, uh-huh. What are your roots, and is it meaningful to you because of your roots to play uh, the concert without borders? I feel like that comes down to my blood, you know, because I grew up in a like, predominantly white community, and I'm half white, too. And so, <clears throat> but yeah, like back to my roots, uh, I'd say... Uh, so yeah, I grew up in a white community and my parents, my dad's Hispanic, my mom's white. And so, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> and that like gets real deep too within me. Um, where's your dad from? My dad is from Fresno, California. And so okay. it's like the central Valley. Is he first generation? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, his parents moved over from Mexico and okay. they were, uh, I would say, again, were pressured by the Matrix to feel um, that they had to fit a certain mold, you know, and not you know, think for themselves. So they didn't learn Spanish. Mm. The, their parents spoke Spanish or his parents spoke Spanish, but didn't teach the kids because they didn't want them to be um, alienated, you know, and and to 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 fit in with the, the culture that was being pushed on to people. 
And so, and then therefore I didn't learn Spanish either. And so there was a disconnect from, you could say, uh, from my Hispanic roots, you know, but, um, I am half white. And so, um, so I got more of, you know, of the American culture downloaded in me compared to, you know, the Mexican culture. And it's like, I feel like now I'm starting to slowly explore that part of me. Um, okay. by be down, being down here, you know, I've only been to the border towns. I haven't, uh, dived deeply into Mexico yet, but I okay. definitely want to, you know, yeah. I want to see if I'm related to, to Aztecs or anything, hmm. you know, that'd be pretty cool. And you were playing mainly on the Arizona side. I think I saw you on stage. Were uh-huh. you there on that side of the stage? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you were saying, I mean, what I enjoyed about the event was that it was primarily Spanish. Um, cause you were saying mm. you, you were given directions in Spanish and you're like, Oh, what, you know, what, what's going on? Mm. Um, so I thought that was pretty neat. Um, and it seemed to be that, uh, I couldn't really see much on the Mexican side because of the, the big fence. Mm. Um, but it seemed like most of the musicians were over there and most of them were, I'm assuming probably from Opsum, Opsum, uh, Agua Prieta or the surrounding area. Do you know how many people were from the, uh, Arizona side and how many people were from I don't. Mexico. I know the Arizona side. A lot of people were from the Bisbee Douglas area for sure, and I think there was a couple people from Tucson. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't think there was. A, I didn't meet anyone else from farther out from that. But as far as the Mexico side, I know there was people from all over. Uh, I couldn't tell you the names because yeah, I just learned, good learned them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there was some phenomenal talent. There's like mm-hmm. some opera singers there, and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, that's not easy to do, <laughs> you know. This almost so. ethereal chanting that was at the beginning of the concert mm. um, was really moving, and especially because, it, I mean, pretty much all of the musicians at that when they were doing that, um, like a whole orchestra and all these all these um, uh, singers were all in the the Mexico side. So I, I mean, we were kind of hearing it through, you know, the slabs of the giant um, <laughs> metal slabs of this uh, giant fence. It was definitely very memorable. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I've never experienced anything like that. Cause yeah, I was playing with the orchestra on the other side of the wall at the same time. And I was yeah. just like, that was interesting too, to yeah. see two different stages, but you were both syncing up playing with each other yeah yeah that was a beautiful thing yeah yeah it was super magical just like never experienced anything like that before just like wow this is happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know yeah but yeah we played the stairway to heaven song and that Mm -hmm. was just like to me i played that song to the ground i like never want to listen to it again but Mm -hmm. but (laughs) yesterday was an exception it was just like so moving was like to have that many musicians play together at once, you know? Yeah. And compared to me on the ops, I'm always play usually by myself with the, with the computers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, part of planning what songs to play was it trying to figure out maybe just some songs, at least what everybody would know on both sides, a song like stairway to heaven, mm-hmm. you know, the probably the whole world knows, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that title. And then what was, uh, another one like pop contemporary song you guys played, Mm. I don't know if you were playing guitar on that one. But, I wasn't. No, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. Um so you have an affinity for Bisbee and Mad Red. Mm. Um let's continue the theme of small towns in the southwest or California. Oh yeah. Um what's another place that really sticks in your mind? 
Ooh, Santa Barbara. Okay, Santa Barbara. Yeah, a bit yeah. bigger than Bisbee. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that place. Santa is, Barbara. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, I love the ocean. You know, mm. <laughs> and just mm-hmm. the the smell. The there's a certain flower that grows there. I'm really bad at those mm. names, but it's you see them and you're like, wow. And then you can smell them too. Mm. And just like, it's just like the the breeze is super nice to breathe in. So that place just very very special you know place in my heart um you know um man uh, i'm trying to think of like a smaller town place um i do a lot of walking around here in bisbee now that i'm in old bisbee and during the springtime um there are so so many different types of smells a lot of flowers that you can that just waft through the streets Mm -hmm. it's beautiful and i remember that when i was in california southern california um, there was a lot that I didn't like, but I remember being in the LA area and thinking, oh, this, at least where I was walking, everything just smelled like flowers. It might have been just the time of year. Yeah, yeah. Um, is Santa Barbara north of the LA area? It is, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, along, along the coast? Yeah, right, right up mm-hmm. along the coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah and just, the ocean is just right there. That whole stretch between San Francisco and LA on the coast is pretty incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doing that drive and like I would camp along the the highway one and um i would do a lot of like you could say illegal camping <laughs> i was about to ask is it's kind of hard to find oh, legal it. spots where you can just camp right on yeah. the beach nowadays yeah yeah it? yeah and like when i was touring and like uh, i lived out of my car for about maybe about a year i was very much accustomed to knowing where i could camp you know and uh without having run-ins from the police because they got that down they know what to look for you know and there'd be like some nights i'd sleep in my car and they know exactly what to look for i'd be parked for an hour like getting ready to go sleep and before i know there'd be a cop pulled up behind Mm -hmm. me and they they just know and so they and then now i'm like i'm starting i'm more aware of it you know like you look on the side of the freeway they have it marked out like no parking no parking no parking you know and it's very hard to find places but you know as i got more accustomed to it i uh found loopholes you know, yeah. of how I can yeah. stash my car and, you know, and then like set up a long highway one in camp, you know, and even when, I, when cops did come up, you know, I'd be able to talk to them and I just like, you know, tell them, you know, what I'm up to and, you know, and, uh, they'd be like, okay, we'll, uh, we'll just give you a warning. But if another cop comes, you gotta come up and go, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, some cops were willing to work with me, you know, and, and you know, and were, would tell me, be like, this isn't a good spot, but this is a good spot. You know? Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, yeah. So I'm willing to be very nice to policemen if I'm doing something illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> no. totally. I mean, yeah, you got to play ball, you know? Otherwise, you know, it, it won't work in your favor. In a state like Arizona, I've been pulled over more than once for a suction cup on my window. And then oh. I have kind of a different demeanor, you know, when, mm-hmm. that, when yeah, that happens. Yeah. yeah, I do the same, too. I have a, a camera on my dash, and I'm kind of worried about, you know, if they're, you know, like, what is that, you know, exactly, like... It happened to me pretty recently, and it kind of turned into, um, kind of escalated a little bit. I won't oh. say where it was, uh, but it was in Arizona. And I've been trying to look into uh, the actual law. I feel like there's exceptions there. I, from what I can research, there are two different spots um, on a windshield in the state of Arizona where you can have a suction cup and like oh, a really? GPS. 
Yeah, so if anybody knows who's listening to the podcast, <laughs> email me, bisbeelive at gmail.com. We'll get down to the bottom of it. And I, I feel like, you know, if I do or talk to a lawyer, you know, maybe pass out pamphlets, you know, <laughs> wherever yeah. I am about it. Because, oh, man, talk Ooh. about, I mean, I even, well, I probably shouldn't get too much into it, but I've even had somebody tell me um, from the police force that it is kind of a bullshit way to just pull somebody over oh, yeah, for yeah. no reason at all. Totally, yeah. yeah. No, on my drive out here, to, to Bisbee, I was driving and a cop came up and pulled me over and I was like, hey, how's it going? Really? Yeah. And he was like, um, you're, uh, I pulled you over for speeding. And I was like, okay. Mm. And he was like, you're going 42 in the 35 zone. And I was like, mm. all right, that's, mm. that's crazy, you know, but they were doing that. The, the reason just to pull you over and see who's behind the wheel. And he was like searching my car with his flashlight. I was holding back everything I wanted to say and being like, can you please like not, you know, turn the world we're living into a police state, you know, mm-hmm. and turn everyone into a suspect and, you know, have unlawful search and seizure, you know, yeah. and just yeah. like, you know, it's just like, yeah, every now and then they'll find someone who's like drinking, you know, from, you know, and, you know, but, you know, pulling someone over for going seven miles per hour over the speed limit. It's just, it's just, it's crazy. Every know? time I see somebody with the light out, I almost want to just like get out of my car and wave them down. You're <laughs> yeah, like, watch yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But well, I've got, mm-hmm. I've gotten pretty comfortable with, uh, with, uh, I'd say like, uh, uh, going against <laughs> again, the matrix. Cause like I, I, I hadn't registered in my car in, um, in Texas for about like two years when I was touring. And so my, my registration was out. Mm. And uh, a lot of people would be like that would stop them from driving elsewhere. And, but no, I traveled all over with with that out, and I, I would get pulled over by cops, and they wouldn't ticket me for they it. They wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Even, even though you know, like you know, I was doing something wrong, the that that didn't become an issue, and so it just like made me further believe it was just like, well, fuck it. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't need to be paying this like unnecessary tax for what was this. That like I can hardly afford to live. Like, why am I gonna pay this hundred dollars for this tax that does what? <laughs> you know, just like it keeps their database up to up to date. You know, huh. just, I I don't know what what it goes for. So, but but yeah, like uh, yeah. <laughs> Are your vehicles registered now? Oh uh, well, I have a rental car right now, so I wouldn't have to worry about that. But uh, well, one of them isn't, yeah. So, but it's just like. You so know. again, what's what's your social security number? <laughs> um, I know you have a busy day, and we're gonna get to. You're gonna play a couple songs for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I appreciate this talk. It's been a lot of fun. Totally. Um, and so let's rearrange the mics and uh, play a couple songs. Totally. Yeah. All right.
All right, Nathan Inohosa. Uh, links to his music and his website can be found at bisbeelive.com. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've been able to keep up on releasing an interview every week, and I plan to keep doing that as long as I can. Uh, there are plenty of interesting people coming through this area and plenty of people that I am in contact with right now. So expect more Bisbee people, expect more other musicians, maybe uh, some authors that I'm in contact with right now, and uh, other interesting folks coming through Bisbee, Arizona. Once again, this is Bisbee Live. I am Mike Butler. Thanks for listening.